This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. To the highway, in a brand new day, gotta let it go. Open the Voice Gate for August 17th, 2021. We are members of the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. You can find us on the Voices of Wrestling feed, or you can find us on our own dedicated podcast feed on all podcast platforms and applications. You can follow us on Twitter at Open Voice Gate. If you would like to donate to the show, just click the link in the show notes. It'll take you to our redcircle.com landing site. You click the red box that says sponsor this podcast and you can set up a one-time or recurring donation. No obligation whatsoever, but we would like to thank all of our previous donors. I'm one of your hosts. It's your old pal, Aaron Mike Spears. Join alongside my co-host, Case Lowe. And Case, we're both struggling. We're recording this a little bit earlier. But you know what? It's been an interesting week in Dragon Gate. We, we have a mailbag coming later on in the show. But Case, how are you doing? Oh, Mike Spears, I've been better. Uh, I have I have certainly been better. Mike was telling me before we got on the air that this is his flu game of course, in reference to Michael Jordan playing an NBA Finals game uh, with the flu. This, of course, is my Ron Artest game. This is my malice at the palace. I am mentally unwell, and unfortunately, the listeners will be feeling my wrath throughout this podcast. But, Mike, what is going on with you? You have a physical ailment, whereas mine is mental. Please describe how you end up banged up like most of the Dragon Gate roster this year. So, I, I'm going to take you back to the Halcyon year of 2009 case. So okay. we're talking 12 years ago. I was playing touch football in undergrad. It was my last touch football game and it was a wet field. And I'm someone that like, I might not seem it now. I used to be quite athletic. Like I'm not saying uh, making a varsity athlete, but I did okay for myself. But so I had soccer cleats because I played soccer pretty much at least up to this point, basically my entire life. Did not wear them on the uh, football field. I pulled a full-on Charlie Brown going up the ladder for a catch, and I landed on my head, almost broke my neck, went to the hospital, and they said the only reason your neck did not break is because you have a great sense of self-preservation and all your muscles fired at once. And ever since I, then, I think this is what I've written about Shun Skywalker in my reviews before. This is this is like me reviewing a big Dreamgate main event. Go ahead. <laughs> I, 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 am I the Shun Skywalker of podcasting? Who's to say? Oh but, boy! In this, in this TED talk, I will. Uh, go ahead, Mike. <laughs> so ever since then, and it's happened in really awkward situations. My neck or back, the muscles will just spasm nonstop and fire for a week at a time. Like nothing's like wrong with me. I don't do muscle relaxers. It's just not a good time. I'm just glad that this time it was like 
just like an innocuous thing. And it wasn't like the time where I sneezed right before a marketing presentation and I couldn't turn my head for a week. So, you know, I, I'm sitting in my computer. I, as before we started going, I told KS, well, KS, I need to go. I'm getting my Tiger Balm patches on right now. So in about 15 minutes, I'm going to be feeling great, but I'm, I'm going to be like putting it in there. You know, Michael didn't turn it on until the second half. And that's what I'm going to be doing tonight. I'm trying to get the image of anybody playing touch football during undergrad in my head because, of course, I went to an art school and playing football would be a form of a microaggression that would not be tolerated on my campus. The only sport that was allowed besides esports was the uh, the fucking Harry Potter game of Quidditch. Uh, so I unfortunately cannot bond with you in this experience, but uh, prayers up to Iron Mike Spears. Heal up, man. We hope to see you back out there soon on the airwaves. You know, this is why Rich does not allow me to do ball out. And he's exactly right, because I find just innocuous ways to hurt myself, such as getting out of my bed and re-injuring a back injury. You know, it's tough out there. It is tough. As someone as someone that participated in the first ball out, you do not want the smoke that is coming from Voices of Wrestling contributor Steve Case. The beautiful thing about Steve Case is that he will not hear this podcast. Uh, there is a 0% <laughs> chance that he is listening. One of one of the best guys on Voices of Wrestling, extremely talented, love whenever he publishes something. He's the best. He is the nicest guy. He is not listening to a Dragon Gate podcast. Ball Out happened two years ago. I have thought about the post moves that he put on me, how he backed me down and eviscerated me in the paint almost every day for the last two years because he just put on a clinic in the paint and i'm someone that you know much like mike spears like i hate to do my own horn but i used to be pretty athletic exposed in 4k by steve case oh. at the ball out for all out event in 2019 this man ripped me a new one and mike spears i'm telling you right now you don't want that smoke i mean you did have a parting gift of memory service correct you, you, you did win a competition there but sometimes you, you you have to pull through the embarrassment and put out your greatest performance ever or have your great performances and then immediately be brought down to earth one way or the other i, I did win the three-point contest which is odd because when i played basketball as a child and at one point I was a pretty good basketball player Shooting was never my thing. I have never had a good jump shot. I don't, it's the same thing in baseball. I don't like hitting. I like playing the field. I was a pitcher. The day that my coach told me, hey, Case, we're going to DH for you, the best day of my baseball career. Basketball, <laughs> I was looking to dish the rock. Oddly enough, won the three point contest, kind of was uh, feeling myself that day. Fresh haircut, Sean Ross sap in attendance, showing up one of the biggest minds in all of professional wrestling journalism. It felt good. And then Steve I, I Case mean, put me back in my place. I mean, Sean Ross Sapp, I mean, one of the one of the biggest Patreons out there. I mean, you put him in his place. And I and I, and I thank you for this. I know Sean Ross Sapp will not be listening to a Dragon Gate podcast either. Good for you. Good for you. <laughs> Sean Ross Sapp, if you are listening, let me know if you want paid Dragon Gate coverage on your website. You follow me on Twitter. You can DM me. <laughs> So uh, after we've talked tales of our athletic and not so athletic youth case, uh, interesting week in the system. Uh, we're going to kind of do what we did last week where we talked about the big topics that happened. They had two shows, the quadrennial, I think that's what it is, four times a year. No, quadrennial is every four years, but they had one of their across Fukuoka doubleheaders this weekend. We also finally got the 8-8 Nagoya main event, SB Kento in his hometown, winning the Open the Brave Gate. And then we have the mailbag. So we'll, we'll, we have a full 
we, we have a full batch of, of content for the program this week. And Kesa, what was your like big takeaway from these Across Fukuoka shows just leading it right off the bat? Because boy, it was an Across Fukuoka double shot in my mind. It was a tale of two promotions. I thought the afternoon show was a ton of fun. Two hours and it flew by. I could not believe I was done watching the show when it was over. There was one match that I I did not go notebook on, but I loved it. I loved this match. I will be talking about this match, and the rest of the stuff on that card was just fine. The second show had such a lull in the middle of it. Outside of the opener, which I thought was very good, and the main event, which I will say was legitimately great. I did go notebook on that. The middle half, I guess the middle, middle third, because it was five matches, so matches two, three, and four, was as bad of an outing as I've seen from Dragon Gate this year. So a, a just an odd weekend. I don't have a ton of big thoughts on these shows really outside of what I liked and then one thing that I, that I disliked. So we're going to speed through this because I think there's much more interesting things to talk about. Yeah, uh, I pretty much co-signed that. We'll get into the one match that is my worst rated Dragon Gate match of the year. Case. In your head, think about what it might be when we get to it, because I wonder. I wonder if you could guess what it is for me. But uh, let's well, just, let me uh, ask, let me ask you this in the spirit okay. of guessing. What do you think my my match of the night was on the afternoon show? I think it was Bensuke versus Ada and SBK. No, it was not. Uh, I I mentioned last okay. week, and and I had I had the same issue. I knew that was going to have a, a non-finish. And so while the work there was strong, I liked that everyone everything that everyone did. I was 75% invested just because I knew what was coming. And sure enough, it's exactly what happened. Yeah, no, no, that's entirely fair. I mean, it was my match of the afternoon. I've like my big topic is between the Fukuoka shows and getting to see the Nagoya show. I think it's time to reassess SB Kento and what we think about him in ring because boy, has he had an interesting few shows or few matches that we got to see, but Talking about Fukuoka Day Show, this is on the Dragon Gate Network until the 22nd. Real leisurely show. Like, it's two hours, but it flies by. Nothing really uh, wastes your time. And there's a 15-minute intermission partway through. Just, uh, okay, so I'm going to run down the card, and then we can take our thoughts there if that works for you. Yep, go for it. All right, the opener was Masquerade versus Natural Vibes. Shun Skywalker, Kota Minora versus Natural Vibes. King Shimizu and UT. Fall was Minora over UT with a gong in 12 minutes and 9 seconds. Match 2, Masquerade versus Unaffiliated. Jason Lee and Dragon Daya versus Ryo Saito and Problem Dragon Mondai Ryu. Lee got the fall on Dragon with the Maximum Driver in 11 minutes and 34 seconds. Match 3 was a 10-man tag, Unaffiliated versus R.E.D., Ultimo, Naruki Doi, Masaki Mochizuki, Don Fuji, and Sachihoko Boy versus BB Hulk, Kaido Ishida, Kai, Diamante, and Hio. Hio won with his inside cradle clap thing in 12 minutes, 50 seconds on Sachi. Uh, match four was the match we were talking about briefly. This was Bensuke versus Eita and SB Kento. Akuda got awarded the win via disqualification in 15 minutes, 52 seconds. And the main event. High-end versus Natural Vibes 4-unit exciting battle. Yamato, Dragon Kid, and Kakatora versus KZ, Susumi Yokosuka, and Ginky Horiguchi. It was Yamato pinning Horiguchi with the Galarea in 14 minutes and 50 seconds. So, yeah, nothing really past 15 minutes on the show. 
everything got a decent amount of time and maybe a little bit too much time in some in some extent. But, you know, overall, just was a very breezy, pleasant show. I mean, I have uh, nothing near notebook, but I mean, nothing below two and a half stars. I went three and three quarters on one match. It's the only one I really have outstanding opinions on on this afternoon card, because, again, so much of this stuff was fine. You know, at this point, we've seen these units. We know what they are. There's not a ton to break down from from that level like we have been for the past few months. But there was one match here that caught my eye that blew me away. I went three and three quarters on it and really thought about going four with it just for the sake of it being a four star match. Match three, 10 man tag team match. Ultimo, Naruki Doi, Mochizuki, Fuji and Sachihoko Boy versus BB Hall, Kaito Ishida, Kai Diamante and Hyo. Am really? I on an, I, oh, Mike Spears, I loved this match. I have been very confused. And one of the things that I want to hit on and we can do it now is. Yeah, let's do it. Is what exactly is going on with Naruki Doi? Because I, I would have put money. I would have bet the house, and I am not a gambling man. I'm a man of the Lord, but I would have put money on a big Naruki Doi angle happening at the August Cork and Hall, thinking, okay, Yoshino's in the rear view. We need to go with this guy now. We need to get him into a unit. If he turns heel, he turns heel. If he starts a new babyface unit with Strong Machine J and whoever else, good. Good for Naruki Doi, but he needs a unit. I was shocked that it didn't happen here. I'm shocked there's really no direction with him. But I watched this 10-man tag, and I thought, my God, if they just revamped another Team Veteran unit and called it Team Veteran Returns 2.0, and it was Ultimo, Doi, Mochi Fuji, and Sachihoko Boy, I would be perfectly content because I thought this match was terrific. Don Fuji and Kaito Ishida battling it out with these hard chops, with these stiff kicks. Sachihoko Boy taking a beating, a beating from the RED team and then making what I thought was a red hot tag into Ultimo Dragon as we headed down the finishing stretch. I thought everything worked in this match outside of the evening show main event. It was my match of the weekend. I thought this was a win for everybody involved. All 10 guys look great here. I loved this match. I thought it was so much fun. This is the type of stuff that I, I, I wish we would get a little bit more of on these Fukuoka shows of, of matches that seemingly over deliver, because I think a lot of the times we either look at these cards and the things that, that look really good on paper under deliver, or in the case of this week, and we look at these cards and go, Hmm, not a ton on here that I like. This was one that obviously didn't jump out to me on paper, but in execution, I loved it. I, I was a big fan of this match. I was two and a half on it. I thought this match was fine to pretty fun. Uh, I, Fuji and Ishida really did tee off on each other. That was a whole lot of fun. And Sachi, you know, he doesn't get a whole lot of shine for where he is in the promotion right now. But... uh I, I, I'm always happy to see him. I will always have fond memories of Amigo Tag, so that was a lot of fun. I just felt like that this match, considering that like Ultimo and Diamante seemed to be a direction, we didn't have anything really going there. Like Those two were actually kept pretty far apart during this, and just kind of an abrupt finish there. But I totally understand. Like It was a very loose but fun match, and that's the kind of stuff you'd want to see on these shows versus the random tournaments and some of the stuff we got on the evening card. So that's a star and a quarter difference between us, which yeah. unfortunately, unfortunately, it's not like a twin gate match where we can really get into this. It was match three on a Fukuoka show, <laughs> which look, I'm passionate about this match, but my passion only goes so far. We have heard both sides of the argument and I will move on in just a second. But that is probably 
as big of a gap as we've had in terms of loving a match this year. I'm I'm surprised given that Sanji Hoko boy was really the star of this match. And I think Ultimo dragon deserves a lot of love too, that you weren't more into this, but I'm, I'm proud to stand on this Island alone. Hey, no, oh, we have to find our bliss one way or another. And I'm glad you found it in this match. So I, I, I totally get how it really resonated with you. Whereas for me, I was like, Oh, I wanted more Don Fuji and Kaido Ishida there. Uh, the, the other stuff on the show that like, we already touched on the tag team match. I liked how low key the main event was considering it was a Fukuoka show. <laughs> like they pretty much were playing the hits and they kept it low key and did two different band attacks. And then they really kicked the last gear change right as it should. And the funny remark from the show was UT was trying to do the, the Hagi crowd call right as Yamato hit the gallery. And that cracked me up. Oh, this is the definition of something that I talk about on the show quite a bit of if this match happens on raw, or if this match happens even on dynamite for as good as dynamite's been lately, this is the talk of the wrestling world, but this is a match that because it happened here and in this building, I will not remember this match by the time we record next week. It was a perfectly pedestrian average Dragon Gate six man tag, which in a vacuum means nothing. But if you take this match and put it into any other context, it suddenly becomes this eyebrow raising must talk about match. But I know natural vibes on high end are capable of far much more. So yeah, this didn't, this didn't light my world on fire. I, I have in my notes that, it, you know, it never really flirted with greatness for me. It was very good the entire way through. I was entertained, right. but at no point did I feel like I was watching a truly great six man tag. But if you put this match in all Japan or Godforsaken pro wrestling, Noah, or anywhere in the Americas, all of a sudden we're talking about a match that has some buzz. It's just funny the way things work here. And I, I don't even necessarily mean that as uh, I, I'm, I'm buffing up the roster because these guys are so next level. This is just a match that, that gets swallowed whole in this promotion. It's the same deal as, you know, we're, we're not going to remember every uh, plunder brawl that AEW has. There are grapple fuck matches at the peak of Evolve that have been lost due to history that people forget about just because there were so many good ones. This is just one of those matches that in this promotion, in this context, eh, fine little six man tag. You can skip it uh, if you're pressed for time. Yeah, it's the epitome of a three and a quarter star match in Dragon Gate to me. It just was fine. It's very ephemeral. I feel like that's the word I want to use for it, but I had a good time. And, you know, if something makes me laugh out of just like pure to pure uh just happenstance like ut really going h a g e clap 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 a clap galleria one two three that just cracks me up so i enjoyed that a great deal so fukuoka night show also on the 15th attendance was pretty good for both of these uh just a dire dire show we, we had a little bit of fun up front and then we had something really fun at the end but boy two three and four we were just kind of in the muck of across fukuoka my least favorite venue that dragon gate runs up should we do the same again and just kind of run down it match by match and then go through our big thoughts yeah let's do it all right so match zero we had a dragon gate future match sora fujikawa we've been telling y'all for a month or so that prepare yourself for sora fujikawa to be back well he's back but it looks like he got Re, he's getting re-debuted as he was in the black tights for this. Green tights were Takuma, Fujiwara. And then after that, it was a five-minute uh, exhibition match. No falls occurred. 
match one, Natural Vise versus High End, KZ, Susumi Yokosuke, and UT versus Dragon Kid, Kakator, and Keisuke Akuda. UT got the win with the Passion Clutch in 12 minutes and 14 seconds when SP Kento came in for interference. Match two, unaffiliated teams, Ultimo and Sachi versus Don Fuji and Problem Dragon. Sachi put this match to bed in 12 minutes and 22 seconds with the Lob Mob's Draw Cradle. Match three, Naruki Doi and Ryo Saito versus Natural Vibes, Ginki Horiguchi and King Shimizu. Shimizu beat uh, Saito in 12 minutes and 36 seconds with the King Press. Match four, semi-main event, kind of a Dreamgate preview match. We have Yamato and Benkei of High End teaming with Masaki Mochizuki versus RED's BB Hulk, Kai, and SB Kento. Yamato got the pen clean on SB Kento in 11 minutes and 4 seconds of the Galleria. And the main event, the match of the weekend. It was Masquerade versus RED, 4-unit exciting battle, 8-man tag, Shun Skywalker, Kota Minora, Jason Lee, and Dragon Daya versus Eita, Kaido Ishida, Diamante, and Hyo. It was Minora winning again with the gong on Hyo in 17 minutes and 42 seconds. So, just was a show that really watch the bookends and then pretend the middle part never happened. Yeah, I liked the opener a lot. I uh, I really thought UT looked strong against everybody in high end. Specifically, I mean, at some point, I don't know how many years Dragon Kid has left. We'll actually talk about that a little bit later in the mailbag. At some point, it just seems like UT versus Dragon Kid at Dead or Alive, which is both men's hometown, it just seems like that has to happen because I thought Yuchi and Dragon Kid had great chemistry there. I liked Yuchi against everybody in that match. He's proven he has good chemistry with Akuda in the past, and I thought they lit it up there. And then the main event, look, no no surprises for me. Case Low is a, a pretty easy guy to figure out, and there was an eight-man masquerade versus RED match, and guess what? I went notebook on it. I thought it was excellent. It's a great outing from Hyo, great outing from Kaito Ishida. But what I really liked in the main event was Dragon Daya, uh, especially just Dragon Daya's performance, but watching him mix it up with Diamante. We've seen what Diamante can do with La Estrella, someone who was actively looking to gain confidence as a high flyer. Well, suddenly you put Diamante in the ring with Dragon Daya, someone who was a very confident high flyer. And I thought those two produced magic there. Uh, far and away, my match of the weekend, I went four and a quarter on it, which really saved... Uh, the middle part of this show from making this entire weekend irredeemable. Yeah. Um, my, my big takeaway about the opener, which, yeah, no, I was three and a quarter on it. Um, Dragon Kid is so good and consistent considering one, his age and the amount of injuries he had like that, like him and UT were so great together. And yeah, we need to have like the Nagoya offer match between the two of them at dead or alive, just because of how great it, the two of them are. And the fact that you have UT who, as a Yaveo being able to work on uh, Keisuke Akuda, which was like the one of the storylines through this, like one of the only storylines going through this was the fact that everyone was teeing off against Keisuke Akuda's knee, kind of the same thing that happened with Kaido Ishida's Dreamgate Challenge in March, but just really a whole lot of fun. Don Fuji and Mondai Ryu versus Ultimo Satyoko Boy, one and a half stars. It was awful. It went on forever. My notes for this case are just kind of there, Dry as a bad biscuit, and I'm talking about the Southern biscuit, not what people in the United Kingdom call cookies, and then fuck that match, and my final note was the finish, and I called it boring and long, but yeah, the main event was excellent, and really, Hyo showing up here did excellent in this, and then yeah, I know Daya did not know that these were joke takeoff shows 
for this. Like he probably was the most consistent person across both parts of the double header and just like was really excellent. And then I mean, he was a, was like an active contributor and added a lot to that final stretch of men and aura. Like it was an excellent match three and three quarter stars, but, and I could totally get why you were four and a quarter on it, but the rest of the show, I just had to rant for a second about that terrible match case. I, I apologize. Oh, all is forgiven, Mike Spears. Don't worry about it. Like I said, this is my Ron Artest game podcast, and at some point I will flip out. I'm curious about what you thought about match number four, the Yamato Benkei Mochizuki trios match. Did that do anything for you one way or another? Well, they kept it moving, which I appreciated after match two and three, and maybe that reflects me thinking a little bit higher on this. I went three flat on it. I thought it was perfectly competent, but it was just something that, like, after the two previous matches, which, I mean, match two is just a waste of time, but match two and match three was not really what I wanted out of those four guys. Yeah, match, match three wasn't much better than match two. No, 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 no. It just was more competently done and, and less long. But match four, like, Mochi took the heat, which I enjoy watching Mochi sell. And, you know, everything was really kind of solid. And I like Yamato and SP Kento together. I think those two have really great chemistry and i've really come away from all of the viewing from this week really thinking that sp kento might be further along from an in-ring perspective than we really thought before yeah real quick my thoughts on that on that dreamgate preview it's i'm a broken record i i don't like the hodgepodge uh, strange bedfellows teaming with your enemy style of matches in drangate i just think it's counterproductive to what the promotion does best I didn't think Yamato, Benkei, and Mochizuki had any chemistry teaming with one another here. If they were in a unit together, I, I think just the Drangate magic would would provide them with some sort of chemistry, but on their they own... It would be funny I, on commentary. It would be funny, like, Yamato and Mochizuki talking to each other. Like, that would make it work. Yeah, this is... I just had I had no interest in that match. I knew what it was going to be. I didn't like what it was. I, I didn't like what it became. I, I just had no interest there. But as we kind of put a bow on Fukuoka and then quickly move into Nagoya, and we're, we're uh, speeding this podcast along, but that's okay, because we got a lot of questions in the mailbag, and I'd, I'd much rather talk about those. Uh, yeah, SP Kento, look, I have nothing else to add. He's incredible. And I think, to your point, Mike, I, I knew he was going to be able to take this next step in his in-ring career. He was kind of weirdly handicapped by the positions that he was put into at the start of the year where he was you know, headlining or semi-main eventing these Cork and Hall shows that had the really rigid time constraints to them. And I don't necessarily think that played into his strengths. And then he was doing such character-heavy work with Dragon Kid in particular, where again, it was effective, but it wasn't conducive to great matches. Oh my God, we've got great SB Kento matches now. Yeah, no, this match from 8-8... He came off, one, as a huge star coming in with, like, all the SBK signs in the crowd. And then, two, like, just really, him and Kakatoa work really well together, which is something that I should have saw coming, but it was really kind of special. And then he pretty much took all of this match against Kakatoa and did, like, a picture-perfect moonsault out of nowhere. Never seen him do a moonsault before. And just was incredible. I was someone, I think it was last week where I said, like, talking about the tools to be a Dragon Gate star, and, like, the one thing that I would say that he did not have, really, was his, uh, was his in-ring standpoint. This was the step forward that I wanted to see, and this is a step forward that, considering how accelerated everything else has been with Kento Kabune's career to this point, I'm glad and I'm relieved to see this, this next step, and I think it's something that is very 
fortunate for his future. You know what I mean? Like seeing this and he was kind of a standout performer in both of his matches he had in Fukuoka. I kind of came out of this going like, maybe maybe we were a little bit too negative about his in-ring stuff just because, I mean, this Nagoya match, I actually liked it more than anything on the Fukuoka shows and it's worth going out of your way to go see if you have a Dragon Gate Network account. Yeah, I went four stars on on SBK versus Kagatora. Low end four. Wouldn't begrudge anyone that that even went, you know, three and a half, three and three quarters. But it's really interesting watching him check off certain boxes because as a young boy, he was thrilling and he is on the level of a Shingo or a BB Hulk or a Ben K in terms of this guy debuted and he got it right away. And then you watched him quickly transition into this heel into this this guy that was the focal point of a Triangle Gate team, and he checked off that box really quickly. We saw that he could perform in a Triangle Gate setting, which is obviously a big part of longevity in Dragon Gate. Then we went into not only the unit disbands match in December, but obviously the cage match in May, and you watched a guy who was 21 years old successfully check off the box of he can work the right way in Dragon Gate's biggest marquee, most specifically Dragon Gate matches, and this guy knocked it out of the park, and he bat-flipped, and he pimp-strut down to first base, and he deserved to do every bit of celebration along the way because he killed it. And now we're seeing him in a single setting, no one by his side with the exception of the already seconds, which I, I didn't love the fact that Hyo tripped up the referee and and essentially saved SBK from losing this match. I get it. Preserve Kagatora a little bit. Preserve the Brave Gate belt a little bit. I would have liked to have seen a bit more clean of a win, but I'll take what I can get because I think this is the right direction for the title. But to see him knock it out of the park in a singles setting like this, I have been saying it for almost a year now, which is terrifying to think about given how young he is, not only uh, given his, his government age, but how young he is in his career. But it is a win, not if he wins the Dreamgate Championship. It is coming. I think it's coming sooner rather than later. He's unbelievable. I, I, I just, I don't think there is anyone under 25 on his level I barely think there's anyone under 30 on his level. I have said it since his debut. I think he's the next Yamato. And, you know, I think he's proving that every time out. Yeah, it's something where we saw the huge step forward last year from Kota Minenora. And that, like, that was understandable. Like, he was two years into his career at that point. Did not think that 15... Not, it's not even 15 months. I'm trying to think how many months he's in his career. He's coming up on his second anniversary. So, 20 months into... Uh, SB Kento's career, he's already headlining hometown shows and selling out a building like 600 tickets. 600 tickets in Nagoya, not a town that Dragon Gate focuses on outside of Dead or Alive anymore. But the fact that it was a filled house and the house was loud for SB Kento, I mean, the future, there's no one in wrestling whose future is as bright as Kento Kabune's. And it's something that each time he gets up there and each time he knocks it out of the park, it just makes his ceiling higher and higher and his floor <laughs> higher as well. And it's like to a point that it, I, I, I of course don't wish it upon him, but the only way that this guy is not headlighting a dead or alive by 2024 is if there is a massive injury or he's fired. He is that good. And he's the, he's on that path. It's going to be interesting to see 
when the SBK run eventually concludes, when he when he turns face, if he will suffer the similar fate that Yamato has struggled with, where, you know, we've seen Real Hazard, Mad Blanky, uh, Berserk Air Yamato, and it's one of the most charismatic wrestlers ever put on God's green earth. SB Kento is following that similar vein. The issue is going to be, or I guess we'll see if it's an issue, is when he turns face, does he lose that edge? I think he has a bit of an advantage being undersized. I think that could play well into his babyface role when he takes it on again because he was such a likable, youthful young boy. And I, I think that's transferable even as he gets older. But that will be an interesting hurdle to see if he can clear that or not when the time comes. But I hope that is uh, years and years away. Yeah, no, it's going to be really exciting to see the next 24 months. Like the big face turn is going to be like the thing that we that that's when everything becomes clear, right? Like, because as you said, like there's there's usually some sort of transition or like translation gap that does not necessarily work for the big face turn. And we've seen if Yamato kind of went stagnant. We saw with Benkei, he just didn't have the charisma to pull off the big face turn. And then we saw with BB Hulk, like he was just, it worked for him then. So it will be really exciting to see how this turn happens and then what the response will be for it. Because I think you're absolutely right. Like that's going to be, that's the next test for him. And that really might be the last test for SB Kento before we just by acclamation call him the best wrestler in the world under the age of 25. Yeah, it's, it's really incredible. And it's just, you know, it's exciting for me on a, on a personal level that I, I don't know if this is almost too inside baseball. I mean, I guess it's not because, you know, people watch this promotion just as closely as we do, but it's been exciting for me over the past year to see guys like Ben K and Shun Skywalker really step up to the plate and be as successful as they are. Because I remember watching them debut. The class of 2016 is really the first class that I have been able to watch their careers from black tights debuts into Dreamgate championships. Yes. El Lindemann, Kaito Ishida, Takahiro Yamamura. I saw those guys debut, but the class of 2016 has had more success. I look at SB Kento and I just think like, God, he's he's a, he's a supernova. He's just different. It's unbelievable the way he jumps off the page and the fact that he is seemingly being thrown challenge after challenge after challenge. Again, the heel turn, the triangle gate stuff, the cage match. These are all things that you need to have under your belt if you're going to be a true top star on this promotion. And he's passed all of them with flying colors. That's the only way you can describe it. He has aced every single test so far, and it is just marvelous to see. It it is so exciting for me to watch a guy who was younger than me, mind you, killing it in Japan's second biggest promotion. Absolutely, and it's going to be really exciting to see how where he goes from here. And I think this is a good time for us now to transition to our mailbag. We put on we put out the call knowing what Fukuoka was that we were going to want to talk about this uh, case. Do we want to go to Twitter first, or should because I have I have Twitter questions of my other questions for the mailbag. What do you want first? I don't know what other questions mean, so let's I, go I'm, there. I'm like, I'm like Taz, where Taz says he has his money as other money. I, I put out the call for questions in multiple places. That's what I'm saying. Well, well, I've seen most of the Twitter questions. I typically don't look at them, but this week I or today I had some time on my hands and, and looked at them. So bring on the other questions first. All right. So this one really is coming from the Discord. It's regrets from the Discord. They had two questions. The first one, any hints on when some guys might make it to the States for MLW? Not that I'm aware of. 
Uh, MLW Same. MLW had somebody behind the scenes who, even more so than Court Bauer, was kind of the point guy on Dragon Gate. He was aware of who everybody was. He seemed to follow the promotion on a pretty close level. And that person left the promotion for Greener Pastures and World Wrestling Entertainment. So once he left, because remember there was that that video that came out a few months ago, and there's a little bit of buzz, a little bit of buzz. Okay, everybody's talking Dragon Gate MLW. And then right after that, this guy left MLW, and I have not heard a peep since. So I have no follow-up there. Obviously, I want Dragon Gate Westward expansion more than anybody. MLW runs a Chicago and a place that I can get to via public transportation. I'm I'm all aboard Dragon and MLW working together, but I have no clue where that relationship stands now. Yeah, I I I'm not saying that the the relationship is dead by any in by any stretch of the imagination. It just seems like it's hard to tell, like beyond even the COVID situation, what might be coming and when it might happen. I know there's still interest there, but it, as you said, like the point person's gone, and it will be interesting to see what kind of comes from it from there. They also had a question. This is kind of a very topical one. Well, let me just say one more thing about MLW real quick. Go ahead. Court Bauer has been trying to book Dragon Gate slash Torimon guys for almost 20 years now, going back to 2003. And I covered this uh, pretty extensively in my Blood Generation versus Do Fixer retrospective article, which is up at VoicesOfWrestling.com. Court Bauer, since 2003 in MLW, has been trying everything he can do to get Dragon Gate guys booked in the States. And every single time he runs into a roadblock, I think if he's able to do it, he will do it. But there are too many question marks at this point to even speculate on when or who is going to put that in motion. No, that's entirely fair. The next question from Regrads was about the unit shakeup which, I mean, that's always kind of topical, especially right now. Uh, do you think there will be a new unit in addition to the current ones, or do you see the likes of Doi, Strong Machine J, and Kondo joining existing units? I think there's going to be a new one. I, four is way too little uh, amount of units for Dragon Gate, really. Like Usually they like to go five or six, and it just seems that there's enough big names and people who are probably going to be doing turns that we'll get a new unit, and then we'll get whatever the heal unit is whenever this shakes out. Yeah, you look at who's unaffiliated right now. You've got Doi, Kondo, Strong Machine J, Maria, Yasushi Kondo, Mochizuki, Fuji, Yoshida, Punch Tamanaga. I'll throw Gamma in there, and I'll throw the Yahashi brothers in there as notable names who are without a unit. I'm not going to include Ultimo because I, I, I don't get the sense that unless there's a specific Legends unit that he'll be involved there. Kness, Super Shisa... Uh, Stockridge Kawa, obviously those guys not looking to join a unit anytime soon. Rio Saito's a GM. I don't anticipate him to be in a unit ever again. Yeah, there's enough names there for a new unit. I would be stunned just from a logistical standpoint if all of those guys, you know, added on to high end, added on to natural vibes, added on to masquerade. I mean, I don't see anybody there that fits the masquerade aura. I think that is a unit that is is locked in. I don't think they need anybody new. I don't want them to get anybody new. I think you just need to find a new unit. Yeah, the only person that would like fit in like the age description for Masquerade is Strong Machine J. And the fact that he's still Strong Machine J tells you he's probably not going to be in that unit. And, and one would argue what Strong Machine J does is the antithesis of what Masquerade does. <laughs> I right. can't imagine a worse in-ring fit. And look, Strong Machine J is good. That's not a knock on him. But he... 
is the closest thing Drangate has to a slow it down, grab a headlock, work the hard cam kind of guy. I'm not saying that's who he is, but he's the closest thing Drangate has, and that is not quite Masquerade, and I, I hope to God that's not what Masquerade becomes. No, no, uh, it just does not fit stylistically, and Nuruki Doi is not doing the natural vibes dance. Like, there has to be a new unit. Uh, from Something Awful, user Dimebag's Brain asked... This is one that's been bugging me, but they have most of the last deck if all the major shows up on the network, but they're missing all the final gates. Why is that? We, I don't know. I think it's something that when they would put up like all the new, well, whenever they're coming to a big show, they put up all the old ones. They just maybe forgot. That's my guess. I, I, I have no logic for how, for what's chosen to go up on the net- network when other than the monthly uh, uh, archive Torimon shows. Yeah, unfortunately, the person asking this question has as much knowledge about what goes on the network as we do. Um, Mike, refresh my memory. So they added all of those archive shows going back to basically, I guess, when the schedule became what it became in 2012 or so. They started to add those last calendar year, correct? That was a 2020 edition to the network. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they kept all the stuff up from 2019 but it was really a new addition there. And I feel like it was something that was trying to goose subscription numbers given uh, not running shows, COVID, trying to like maximize that revenue source there. So, I mean, it's just that they put those up there, but I mean, it's something that they have everything basically from right before the Ustream era up big show wise. That is bizarre. I, I had not noticed that until now. That is even for as weird as this network is, that is super weird. <laughs> uh, my yeah. guess is, uh, my guess is, come December they'll upload the Final Gate archive going back to 2011 because that seems to be where they stop things. But yeah, I have no idea. That's really weird, and I had not noticed that before. Uh, before that person brought that up, so unfortunately, when it comes to the network, I have no answers. Yeah, I'll I'll try to ask someone, but they're probably going to shrug at us too. Like, no one knows. I mean, the, 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 the decision there is not being made by anyone who we have any point of contact with. Uh, let's move to Twitter then. We got a lot of great Twitter questions here. Thanks to everyone for picking up the call on short notice. Let's just start chronologically. The first one, uh, Basic Braids at HB Joker. Is Masato Yoshino a Wrestling Observer Hall of Famer? And if he isn't, why not? Case, I'll let you take the floor on this one. Well... Yeah, Mike, set, settle down. Aaron Bentley's not listening to this podcast either. We're outing a lot of people that aren't going to listen to the show. Aaron might actually listen to the show, even though he I don't think he's watched one Dragon Gate match that I haven't like sat down and made him watch. He might listen to hey, the show. I can't completely discount that. If you're a subscriber to the Everything Elite Patreon, keep your eyes peeled for some content involving me later this week. And it does not involve Mike Spears. I don't know if he knows what no. I'm talking about or not. Oh, Ooh, very exciting. Um, oh i i do know what you're talking about nothing goes up on that patreon without me knowing case come on <laughs> come on yeah no it, it, it's sick it's something that i was like all right this is who you need to talk to for this and that's why case is on it i'm looking forward to doing that i think we're gonna record that this comes out on wednesday i think we're gonna record that episode on thursday and hopefully it goes up on friday uh as for hp joker's question and and i enjoy hp joker on twitter someone who interacts with us a lot is masadi oshino a wrestling observer hall of famer look if he was on the ballot and i had a vote and maybe somebody listening to this can nudge Big Dave to get me a vote. Yeah, I'd vote for him without question. The issue is that it's almost a waste of time and energy to get him on the ballot because I 
I literally don't see any way that he could get on. Last year, Shima had 27%. And I guess let me ask you this before I hear your thoughts on Yoshino. Perhaps they Mm -hmm. bleed into each other. But who do you think has the stronger candidacy, Shima or Masato Yoshino? I'm actually, this is something that when I saw Brady sent this question, I started thinking. And I think Yoshino does. And here's why. I've been, you know, I keep track of attendances and it's kind of hard to do COVID to pre-COVID. But the attendance drop from after Masato Yoshino retiring in comparison to the Strong Hearts departure is much more drastic. Masato Yoshino meant more to Dragon Gate than Shima. And that's something that I did not think would happen. And I think as we saw through like the last month with all the great stuff that I know we've done, that Alan Forel has done over at the Torch, we've seen that I think that perhaps Yoshino might be more positively regarded by Western wrestlers than Shima. And I think that would help him in that regard there. And I think, and I think entering Yoshino has a more diverse and complete portfolio versus Shima because the one big thing against Shima, and we've said this before is the singles match and Yoshino has a lot of excellent singles matches. So I think Yoshino is a stronger case if we're going one-to-one there. It's really interesting. I, I still lean Shima. I think his just grip that he had over the U.S. Indies for, you know, 2006 to 2008 and then into early Dragon Gate USA, I think that's really hard to ignore. I, I just I always think about what Alan Forel says where, you know, he's seen Danielson and Kobashi and El Generico wrestle and Shima has just as much charisma as any of them. And I really think that translated, especially in the Americas, for a a five- or six-year time period. But again, to me, they're both no-brainer slam dunks. Yoshino clearly has the great matches, both as a singles and arguably one of the greatest tag teams of all time with Naruki Doi. And something that we've seen a lot over the past few weeks is tag teams talking about how much they were influenced by Speed Muscle, which I, I think everybody knew to some extent, but having so many people just show their outpouring of love for speed muscle was something that was very interesting to me. As Mike pointed out, you know, this is a guy that's been a a consistent draw and a focal point in Dragon Gate. I I have hung on to this idea that, you know, he was as protected, if not more protected than Milano Collection AT dating back to the Italian connection and dating back to Torimon. And I, I think that matters to some extent. Yoshino throughout his entire 20 year career was never someone that was really cast aside. He was always doing something in this endless cog of the machine that is Drangate. Masato Yoshino was a focal point of that cog. He was always pushing the promotion forward, and I think that really matters. And when he got on top of the promotion, he clearly became a draw. And then when Shima left, they went, oh, shit, where's Masato Yoshino? And he, he steadied a ship that was dangerously close to rocking and rolling out of control and then he has the influence. I've, I've, you know, I wrote thousands of words about it. The, the words from Gran Akuma, the words from Mike Seidel, the words from fans, the words from other wrestlers. Uh, there, there's, there's no denying it that Masato Yoshino has changed wrestling for the better. And the question that I always come down to when I think a guy is on the bubble, can you tell the story of professional wrestling with or without this guy? I think Masato Yoshino has to be included in the story. I think you're doing an inaccurate job. I think you're doing a poor job if you tell the story of professional wrestling and you don't include Masato Yoshino. And he's the Ricky Henderson, you know? I mean, he is the fastest wrestler to have ever I was going to say, in many ways, he's the Ricky Henderson. 
Yeah, yeah. So it, it, it's something where like I, I, I stay in true to your you can you tell the story of XYZ without this person and you can't without Masato Yoshino. And, and yeah, if Case or I had ballots, like we would be at the forefront. Like these people would be getting these votes ahead of a lot of names that we think would be shoe ins, but is Masato the- Yoshido a more uh, credible candidate than Yoshiaki Fujiwara? Sound off in the comments. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, I, I'm curious, though, Mike, from uh, the four guys that I think realistically I would vote for from the Dragon system, Shima, Yoshino, Shingo, Mochizuki, rank their cases from one to four strongest to least strong. All right, Shingo's, a, Shingo's in now. Like, I don't think that... That, that there's Do you think Shingo gets in this year? He, oh yeah, he does turn thirty-five this year. God, I turned yeah, thirty-five this year. Yeah, uh, he should. I mean, I'm not going to make any guesses as electorate, but I mean, I think Shingo becoming New Japan IWGP World Heavyweight Championship kind of put him over the top there. I don't know if it's this year, but I think he will be within the next three. Uh, after that, I think. And this is going to sound crazy. I think Masato Yoshino is two for me. And I think a lot of that is the fact of like consistency, the full uh, entering kind of uh, just catalog he put out there, the influence as you talked about that with that and uh, business. I mean, when we talk about like the, the pre big six era, he was not the one that, that really suffered at the box office versus the other two. Not as much as Shingo Takagi did, or the other three. Not as much as Shingo Takagi did. Not as much as Naruki Doi did. Naruki Doi did, did terrible as a headliner his first go-around. Or Yamato. Then, I think it's... I, th- I think it's Mochi than Shima. I, okay, I, think, I, think, Shima, you're, I think you're out of your mind for that. And, and, and here's the reason why. Out of the four people, Mochizuki has the best match output in my mind. I think Mochizuki is one of the smartest wrestlers who ever lived. I think Mochizuki has done so many different types of matches. And I think the fact that Mochizuki is in the in the position to be having a pay-per-view world title match at age 51. And if that match is below four and a half stars, I'm gonna be massively disappointed. And I think Shima, it, it, it's one of those things that I think that. The further we get away, like, yeah, no, Shima's such a central figure here. I would not be surprised because the last four or five years, the further we get away from Shima's departure from Dragon Gate, the weaker his case becomes. That's, uh, we, we have looked at Shima's departure in very different ways where I have seen what he has done in the ring. His business acumen is certainly up for debate, but in the ring, I weirdly have come to appreciate Shima more outside of Drangate than I did when he was there. I, I think he has a slightly better case than Yoshino. I think he has a much better case than Mochizuki. Uh, Shingo to me is is the guy. I think Shingo gets in this year. I I would be actually I would be very surprised if Shingo does not get sixty percent of the vote. And then I would go Shima, Yoshino, Mochizuki. Mochizuki, I don't really, to my knowledge, you know, he's obviously been a, a steady draw, but I, I don't think he has a drawing candidacy that is going to put him over the edge. I don't think he has influence that is going to put him over the edge, but I do think he's one of the 10 best wrestlers of all time. My cutoff sort of, this is not a, an exact science, but my cutoff has always been, I would put Chris Hero in the Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Fame simply on his in-ring output alone. And if you are a better wrestler than Chris Hero, then you would also get on uh, in get in for in ring alone, and Mochizuki certainly passes that test. Yeah, I think you've 
convinced me to flip-flop to Shima 3 Mochizuki 4, because Mochizuki really is just an in-ring case, whereas, whereas Shima, you do have the business side and influence. So you're right. You're right on that. Uh, next question from Shuyaku Maris at MarisGW. What do you think are the five best and the five worst years of Dragon Gate and why? And just because it's more interesting, let's do whole Dragon System, so 99 to present. Well, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm not going to list five years for each because this promotion has been around for 20 years and I'm not going to list half of those. Yeah, now, yeah. that being said, good question. Good question. I'm just going to I'm going to edit it a little bit for time. I'll give you a top three uh, for each, I guess, top three and bottom three. My top three remains the same. I think it's 2011. I think it's 2005. And I think it's 2015. I, as we get more and more removed from it with a little bit of clarity that we have, I think 2020 was a special year for this promotion. Just, it's not, it's not the best. It's not going to rival 2015 for that third spot. It's probably not going to rival 2014 or, you know, whatever other year I want to throw in there. 2007 was another good one. So maybe I just did give you five, but 2020 was a a really special year and one that I think is going to age very well, assuming you can watch anything of clap crowds in a post clap crowd universe. And maybe one day we will reach that milestone. Although I doubt it with the way things are going worst years. I point to 2003 just because there was so much good high end stuff, like literally some of the greatest matches of all time in 2003. But when it wasn't four and a half stars plus it was typically pretty rough. I think 2006 from what I've seen of it was a total mess and I and I don't know how you feel about this, Mike. I am so down on 2017. I think about 2017 Dragon Gate, and I am just bummed out by it. Uh, it's just yeah. I, I, it's a year that I don't think fondly of. Now, also, I look back at where I was in life, and I was uh, graduating high school slash going into my freshman year of college. And admittedly, and rightfully so, thank God, Dragon Gate wasn't on the forefront of my mind during that year. I I look back at. I'm not going to call them business opportunities, but that was the year the network launched, I believe. And I I regret not doing more for the site, doing more for the podcast with the launch of the network. I think I I could have put this show and the the entire Dragon Gate brand uh, of Western content in a better position had I, you know, had the time to do so. But I just did not at the time. But I look back at 2017, miserable Kobe Sambo Hall shows, Hakata Star Lane shows that didn't live up to the height. The latter half of Yamato's fourth Dreamgate run, which despite those matches being good, they were torturous leading up to them. And then he would have a good match and I would be frustrated by it. Like, who cares? I'm, I'm over this reign. I don't want to have it be... I don't want him to be champion anymore. And then he would defend the belt against Cyber Kong or T-Hawk. And those matches were bad, so it made it even worse. Uh, 2017 was a real make or break moment for me as a fan. I'm glad I held on. I'm glad I still continue to do what I do. But 2017 almost broke me. Okay, so I love 2002. Like, it is one of my, and that's kind of like my per, my personal bit, because you, you hit on, like, the three big ones. I mean, 2015 is just phenomenal. 2005 was when when everything was kind of straightened out and things were really started going in 20, you, you said 2011, right? I did. Yeah, in 2011, I mean, the best uh, feud in, in the promotion's history. So I think, like, those, I would add 2002. I really enjoyed 2002. I liked... 2019 a whole lot i liked the the pack dreamgate run i loved the benkei dreamgate run and then i felt like that everything else like you had the rookie ranking league starting off the year 
the belts all felt pretty vibrant. We had Susumu kind of come in there with Bravegate towards the end. It was just a really kind of fun year for me. Uh, 2003, though, is just real peaks and valleys there, real shoots and ladders. Um, 2017, just one of the more fierce. 2018, I mean, with, with all the drama and the shakeover, uh, with the uh, Stronghearts leaving and all leading up to there, to the fact that Yoshino basically telling everyone, just hold on to the ship, I'll get us through this. And then it, it ended great, and it really set up the end of it, but it just was such a real turbulent year in that extent. And 2018 is odd. I, I, I would like at some point, and we're, we're still too close to it, but as time goes on, I would like to go back and, and really look at some 2018 footage because... It's a promotion that from King of Gate onwards is building itself back up in a way that I don't think they had had to do, certainly since the Ultimo split in 2004, but I don't know if they ever had to build themselves back up since they launched in 1999. Mm -hmm. I mean, January of 2018 is a different universe from December of 2018, and luckily, by December, they are in a much, much better place. And that's, you know, when I I had obviously stepped away from the show for a little bit. But when I came back, I started doing a lot of audio with Mike in 2018. And the reoccurring thought was, okay, all right. By Kobe World, like, things seem to be going well. These guys are in the right direction. Yes, we have to deal with Hiroshi Yamato. Yes, we have to deal with Kai. Fucking Cosma, as Jay said. But that turned out to be okay. <laughs> like, we were, we were throwing a lot of curveballs that year. But in the end, they came out better for it. And and I, I feel very warmly about 2019 as well. That was a fun year for the promotion. Yeah, and, and I think that like 2018, really, in 2023, I think that's when we take the setback because that's five years. Then probably we, we get a better sense of the landscape, how things really shook out for the Strong Hearts guys. OWE kids, sadly, will still have to be under contract for like another three years. God, poor guys. I feel, I, boy. OWE. I'm just going to leave that thought just hanging in there for a second. <laughs> but it, it's such a fascinating year, but it's one of those things that like it took a lot to get through 2018 and really all the scars were on display in a lot of ways. And even though I feel like that that Shingo uh, Yoshino title match and the way that they built up to that title match was really fascinating and one of the few times that there was really like kind of like this huge overarching story that was on display and was not inferred i feel like that that was phenomenal it just was one of those years that's so uneven and it really took it really took actually shingo leaving for the promotion to finally get its sea legs again and of course pack came in and pack is i've said this on many shows before pack is the best wrestler of the 2010s that no one thinks about <laughs> so it, it it's one of those it, it's it's going to be a, a year that I think we come back to this in 2023 and we'll have a much more clear vision on what it was, if that makes sense. I think that's very fair. All right. This next one, this is a fun one. It's from it's Eamon at no underscore more underscore mutants. If the borders opened up next year and imports became viable, what Western independent talents would you like to see have runs in Dragon Gate? Personally, I would love to see a 10-minute Bravegate match between Lee Moriarty and UT. Well, Eamon, you just mentioned my top name on that list. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, Lee has made it very publicly known that he would like to work Dragon Gate. I think he would crush it if he got the opportunity because he is at a point in his career where he needs to work with guys that are better than him. He and needs to get out is, of America. He needs yeah, to get out of America. That's, that's exactly it. I mean, he... 
you know, it, look, if he signs with AEW, great. He'll obviously succeed there. But mm-hmm. I don't I, I would be disappointed just from a uh, the creative part of my brain rather than the business side of my brain. If he just went straight for that contract, I would like to see him force his way into Japan if possible, because obviously I think he would do well. I have two names here. I don't know if uh, if these will catch people by surprise. I, I was thinking about this today, and despite the seeming resurgence of the U.S. Indies, I was still struggling to come up with names. But there are two guys that I really like and two guys that I think would do well in this environment, one of them being Braden Lee. Now, my understanding is that I, I genuinely have not seen him work uh, in these promotions because I do not watch bad promotions, but I, I guess he works in Game Changer a lot and doesn't necessarily light the yeah. world on fire there. But I have been watching Braden Lee and AAW, a promotion that gives young wrestlers structure and gives them a chance to succeed. And I am routinely frothing at the mouth once I am done with Braden Lee matches because I think there is so much potential there. The comp that I keep throwing at him is he is currently at the stage in his career where he reminds me of IWA Mid-South era Matt Seidel which if you've seen IWA Mid-South era Matt Seidel, that is a a heavy compliment (laughs) uh, because Matt Seidel was good from day one, my friends. He reminds me a lot of Seidel. He's lanky. He can fly. He's already got a good body on him. He's training with Alex Shelley, which is only going to make him better. I think Braden Lee, if he can correctly navigate the cesspool that is the U.S. independent scene, I think he can come out as somebody that is supremely talented and can become one of the best wrestlers in that scene. The other one is a guy who's established, a guy who I've pimped a million times. It it blows my mind that he doesn't work PWG, that he, he and maybe he's turned down offers from Game Changer, that whole universe, I don't know. But he's an AAW guy through and through. Matt Fitchett is one of the most underappreciated and underrated wrestlers in the world. He is phenomenal. He can do everything. And I think he would crush it in Dragon Gate. Matt Fitchett's a good pull. Like I did not think about him in this context, but yeah, no, he he would work really well, and you could like plug him into like high end, and I feel like he'd be great there. I think he'd work well as a heel as well. I feel like that. Fitchett's Fitchett's roadblock, and I don't. I mean, I don't know if he knows what Drangi it is. I I don't I don't know him at all. But I'm I've been blown. I've been watching AEW for five years now, and every single month he does something that I really really like. His biggest obstacle is his look. He doesn't have a great body. He. Uh, certainly has a look of the the white guy with the long beard that mm-hmm. hasn't necessarily been accepted into Dragon Gate in the past. That's not really what they're looking for. They are looking more for the male model type. And Fitchett, uh, despite being a great wrestler and a handsome man, is not that. So that would be his biggest roadblock. But from an in-ring point of view, I, I think he's terrific. All right. So I've got two names here. And you didn't pick either of my names. So I'm pretty happy about that. Uh, my first one is something that like I've seen a deal I've I've seen a bunch of him. I think he's really started to come along recently. He was someone that for a while I felt like he had everything but the end ring, and that is Brian Keith. I think that he is the best wrestler in Texas. He can pretty much do nearly everything, but he does do more of a style that would complement, I would say, Keisuke Akuda. Have you watched much Brian Keith? I've heard the name. I don't think I've ever seen him work though. Yeah, like he is. It's something where I don't know if uh, aesthetically it's a necessarily good fit, like how you're saying about with Matt Fitchett. But I feel like that, especially with the promotion kind of moving in the direction that it's moving, like I feel like that he would be someone that would fit in really well there. And 
a toolsy guy that I think needs to kind of refine those tools is Jack Cartwheel. I think Jack Cartwheel, you you bring him over, he has enough raw ability that you put him into the dojo in Kobe, and I feel like you give him 90 days, 180 days, a full year, and I feel like you're going to get someone like out of the vein of like how they've molded people like Ricochet before, you know, Rich Swan, like how like they've they've gone and they've taken people who have the ability to perhaps become that, but just don't have the direction. And I think that's something that I think Jack Cartwheel and Dragon Gate could actually work well for each other in that regard. Well, Mike, when I get my Mystery Vortex DVD, I will be sure to check out Jack Cartwheel. There you go. There you go. And next question, friend of the show, Joe Gagne, asks us, what is Punch's ceiling? Is it where he is currently? Punch's ceiling was his debut match. It was <laughs> the 2011 <laughs> Triangle Gate match with Doi and who was the who was the third guy, Sachi Hoko Machine? Oh, it was Gamma, Sachi Hoko Machine, and him versus Team Doi Darts. Yeah, that's... It, well, no, it's actually, you know what? It's not even that. His ceiling was the fact that he beat Shima in a singles match. And it wasn't like, yes, there was inter- it, it, yes, there was interference. Yes, it was a no DQ match and he used a weapon. But it wasn't like, oh, how embarrassing that Shima lost to this loser. It was, wow, she was like, he's losing to punch Tamanaga in a way to try to get him over. Because look, I got to be honest, the first six months of that Punch Tamanaga gimmick, I was in. I thought this, there was money to this act. And then I continued to watch Punch Tamanaga wrestle, and I thought, <laughs> oh, wait, maybe not. Um, he's had literally runs. The, he's had literally the best possible career. This is the best it's going to ever get for Punch Tamanaga. You run this career a hundred times, this is the best outcome. He has steady employment, Joe Gagne. That is his ceiling. <laughs> And I mean, he has a fallback. I mean, he is kind of a fail son. He has a fail. He has a fallback if he wants to go work at the dance studio. I'm sorry, the Tomonaga Dance Factory. I apologize. <laughs> Please put some respect on their name. I, I, I mean, I don't want Mr. Tomonaga mad at me. He sponsors a lot of stuff in the Dragon Gate programs, which are like 75 pages of ads, and a third of them are the Tomonaga Dance Factory. So, you know, make sure I stay on his good side. Look, Rob Naylor wants us to make a, a DVD comp of like Best of Drangate 20, or 2005 to 2014. I can't promise him that, but as we discussed on this podcast, and it was a year ago, it was August of 2020, when I ran down the list of literally every great Punch Tamanaga match ever. <laughs> Rob it took Naylor, like 10 I'll minutes. Mail that, I, I'll mail that DVD to you right now. Let me, let, me, let me put some files together, export that shit. It'll be in your mailbox. I mean, there'll be a lot of wimpy matches for him. There'll be a lot of wimpy matches. <laughs> you'll, you'll be going, wow, Punch Tamanaga works with some really talented wrestlers. Yeah, oh, for sure. Uh, I'm going to take these two questions together because they're kind of similar. One of them is friend of the show, Adam Sanderson, at Lazy Day Ed, and at Cameron Yolo, at Karen, Cameron Yolo 1. Adam Sanderson's question is, how long do you see the current rate of rookies debuting, debuts continuing, and what does the Dragon Gate roster look like in five years? And Cameron's was, with how fast the last class of rookies have gotten units, what units and groups do you currently see, or you see the current future class end up in? So do we think the rookies, I, I guess taking Adam's question first, do we think that the rookie debuts are going to continue like this? I think the clear answer there is yes. Yeah, just from what we have of history, there's no reason to go against that because with the exception 
of the lull between the unfortunate class of 2008 and 2009 really through the millennials we've had a constant stream of talent pouring into this promotion right since 1997 i mean since they went to no component with uh with ultimate dragon it's you know the the ryomu uh uh Ch- kenshin chicano that class that ruined things for everybody and the tail end of that next class which never really worked out th- there was that four or five year gap there where through uh, you know up until Tiok and Ata, things were looking a little thin but ever since then, I mean, you look at, you know, UT in 2013, Shimizu in 2013, Lindemann in 2014, Yamamura and Ishida, Benkei, Skywalker, Hyo, Yuki Yoshioka. Uh, from there, you go to Coach Minora, Dragon Daya, Strong Machine J into the class of 2020. That's a seven year stretch that is just a murderer's row of talent. I mean, those are all, you know, almost all guys that really matter to this promotion in its current state. So given Dragon Gate's continued popularity and given just the sheer success of their training school and the way they train guys. I have no reason to believe this is going to stop anytime soon. We have no evidence that says it's going to. Right. And the other thing that helps out Dragon Gate that I don't think many people know, and I've talked about this both publicly and privately, there's no height or weight uh, requirements in Dragon Gate. New Japan has 180 centimeters, which is remarkable considering that's 10 centimeters taller than the average Japanese male. Dragon Gate doesn't have that, and that's always going to be a option. I mean, when you look at Strong Machine J ending up in Dragon Gate versus New Japan, that's a huge sign right there. And then, I mean, the the uh, Ihashi brothers. I mean, Japanese wrestling's first ever uh, kids who are second generation from both wrestling mothers and wrestling fathers. Like, it, there's no reason to believe that that's going to stop, and it's something that, if anything, I think it's going to accelerate. And Adams. Second part of the question, what does the Dragon Gate roster look like in five years? Um, I, I'll take this first case. Uh, yeah, please. Yoshino is just the first. And we've already seen, and we've talked about this before, we've already seen people take steps back. We will probably, unless something happens with soccer at Chikawa, we'll probably always will have like a soccer appearance. We'll always will probably have an ultimate appearance as long as people can physically go. But the day-to-day is going to take a big step back, and it's going to be the or step back from the older generation, and then the new generation will step up. Now, does that mean that we're going to have some huge retirements coming? Yeah, I think that that's undoubtable. I, I mean, Yamato is either 40 or is turning 40. It's it, it's on the precipice. Like, like There will be big shakeups up and down the card, but there will still be, I think, at least for like big shows, I still think we'll get like the William Tell overture and as long as he physically can do it and is interested in doing it, we'll get soccer Chikawa comedy matches. We'll get Ultimo appearances. It's just the day to day. I feel like will drastically change. Yeah, I think for sure uh, we're approaching Knessa's retirement show. He's talked openly about how he, he can't go much longer about how, how banged up he is. I would assume given the recent news that at some point within the next five years, we will see the end of Rio Saito and I would also suspect, just given their injury history and what they have left in the tank, I think BB Hulk and Genki Horiguchi will probably go by the wayside within the next five years. That is obviously pure speculation, but I, I think those are pretty safe bets. All right, and and I mean Genki's a girl dad. He has uh, he has other stuff to do. He's a girl boss. He's a girl boss. Exactly, exactly. So Cameron's questions were 
with how fast the last class of rookies got units, what units and groups do you think the future class will end up in? And this kind of runs into like all the open, the question from Twitter from our grads about like the current things. It's kind of tough with like the Hashi brothers, where to put them. Sora Fujikawa, the fact that they're redebuting him kind of makes things a little different. I, I wouldn't be surprised if, uh, I, I think Sora long-term will probably go heal first. So whatever the heal unit is, but other than that, I think it's a pretty open canvas there. Yeah, I really hope the Ahashi brothers stay away from Strong Machine J. I think there's a natural pairing there, but I I just think it would be far more interesting if they did anything else on the roster. And that's not again, that's not a dig of Strong Machine J. I just it it would be a little too easy, I think, to pair those three together. And then Sora Fujikawa, I look, I'd like to see him in high end. I was very surprised, and I guess we kind of glossed over that in Fukuoka that, that Fujikawa re-debuted in the future match at the top of the show. And I thought, look good. I think Sora Fujikawa has a really, really bright future. And I think if he had to be put in a unit today, high end would be that unit for him. Yeah, unless he goes heel, which could happen now, I think that that's probably his logical endpoint for Fujikawa and Fujiwara, it's just way too early. I mean, we saw how long it was really even for uh, Takedo Kamei to become Funky Jackie Kamei. Like, it took a full calendar year for that. I think that it, it's going to be interesting because they have this other class of kids that they want to probably get ring time to soon as well that th- they're about to go somewhere. And I, I was hoping you were going to talk a little longer so I could look to see if, if Coach Ish and Ricky had a match with the Strong Machines. And he has had a couple matches in war against Super Strong Machine. Really? So, okay, I, I I did not know that. Okay, so he's had four matches. One of them was against Super Sumo Machine, which I'm assuming that that probably... Who is Super Sumo Machine? Like, I searched Machine on this. Uh, that is Tachi Hikari. That is... Uh, I don't think that he wrestles much anymore. But in WAR... Ashura Hara, King Haku, and Super Strong Machine defeat Jinichiro Tenru, Hiramichi Fukuyuki, and Koji Ishinriki. And then we have Tenru, Koji Ishinriki, and Takashi Ishikawa versus uh, Ashuhara, uh, or Ashura Hara, King Haku, and Super Strong Machine. That those were on two consecutive days. And then the we then the month before we had Fukuyuki and Koji Ishinriki versus Super Strong Machine and Ultimo Dragon. Thirty minute time limit draw. Yeah, the, the I guess this hasn't been stated publicly, so I, I don't know for sure, but I've always just assumed, given that Ultimo and Ishinrihi worked together in war and then worked together in Mexico, that I, I'm not saying Ultimo got the, the two new brothers into Dragon Gate, but I certainly think he was a, a helping hand in that process. So yeah, I would like to see that 30-minute draw. I, I doubt that exists on tape, and especially in full, but that sounds intriguing. It, it's from Aichi. It's from... Uh, I, I It's the... Uh, City Gymnasium. I don't know if that became the Prefectorial Gymnasium. Uh, interesting show. Uh, Lionheart defeats Masao Orihara is third on that show. Lionheart, of course, being Chris Jericho. Another match I would like to see. Yeah. Uh, how interested are you in, in a mixed rounds match between Arashi versus Masanobu Kirisu? Uh, n- not. I'm not interested in that. Well, if you're not interested <laughs> in that. good that the war has to offer. I don't know if that's it. <laughs> Well, you're not interested in that. How about how interested are you in Jado defeating Nobukazu Harai? 
in 15 minutes. I should say it's 15 minutes. Okay. Now. Yeah. So six minutes, I'm in. 15, I'm going to head out. <laughs> I, I'm just going to get the car started. Don't mind me. Yeah. No, it's just, it's a 15 minute uh, Jotto singles match. Again, it's not personal. I just literally don't want to watch that at all. And then our last question, uh, Andrew at Angry216 asks us, guys, first time, long time, uh, what are your top five Dragon Gate themes ever? Not unit themes, just individual themes. Okay, so uh, let, let me let me do compliment sandwich here. I thought Andrew, and again, at Angry216 on Twitter, uh, had just tremendous tweets throughout the Speedstar final weekend. He is the most underrated source of Dragon Gate knowledge there is uh, in this community, because I, to my knowledge, and I, I could be wrong. I hope I'm not though. I don't think Andrew writes for a website. I don't think he does a podcast. He's just a guy that knows a bunch of shit and always has good insight. Whether or not I agree with it is irrelevant. He always has good insight. That being said, I'm sure Andrew has probably listened to this podcast more than anybody else. He should know. I don't fucking know unit themes or wrestler themes. So fuck you for that question. But again, a tremendous follow. Go give him a follow. Um, I like the, I like Mochizuki's theme song. That's my input on this. Yeah, that's in my top five. Um, speed star. I mean, that one just is going to always be one of my favorite theme songs of all time. I really liked uh, Shingo's theme before Berserk, before like they got really healed out. Uh, I think Ada's theme rules. I think Overdrive the Mirage is just a sick theme. I've talked about this with Andrew Rich on uh, Music of the Match in the uh, Millennials episode. I feel like that that theme is just exceptional. And here's a deep cut case for my last one. On the Berserk album, they had versions of people's themes. Some of them were like English versions. So like, Tanian's theme had an English version, but there was a smooth jazz version of Katoka's theme of Live My Jeans that was a bop. And then I'm gonna put that there as number five. And of course, my real number five is a character's I was saying. It will always be my favorite theme. And good for Fight Club Pro to make sure that that we were able to get like his Dragon Gate music versus getting WWE theme music when they did their Tokyo show. My thoughts on that is that I don't like jazz music. I think it's dumb, and I certainly don't want to hear Kotoka's jazz theme song. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to somehow find a way to make you listen to this theme. There might be an innocuous like uh, Google Drive link that I drop <laughs> yeah. you one day, and it's going to secretly... And I will be reporting for malware. I do not want this link. <laughs> not interested. And Case personally knows how much that would, that would piss me off, that happening to my Google Drive. <laughs> it would piss me off. I gotta th- You're right. You know what? I take that back. Let me listen to the song. <laughs> it's really jazzy and smooth. Oh, the, God. Uh, awful. Jazz music is such a waste of time. It is just terrible. <laughs> I have no opinions, really, on it's jazz nonsense. music. It's just, I, they, I, they passed off as improvisation. It's just absolute nonsense. I, I'm someone that I am on record to not really have listened to music until I turned 12. So, <laughs> really, my tastes. Case, have you heard what my first four albums were that I bought? My first four I'm CDs a, I bought? I'm assuming Limp Bizkit's Significant Other was one of them, but no, go ahead. Oh, no, th- this was when I was 13. I mean, I'm old, man, but uh, yeah. Okay, so ACDC Back in Black was one of them. Okay. Uh, the Michael Jackson uh, compilation album History. Canceled. And then the... The the best of Weird Al Yankovic Volume One, the best of Weird Al Yankovic Volume Two. Okay, gotta be honest, Mike. Perfectly on brand. That 
makes so much sense. Uh, I don't know if you were trying to throw me a curveball there, but no, when I think no. about you, I think that's a man that has owned some Weird Al albums in his lifetime. I was 13. I was 13. This that's was fine. 1999. You could buy him now and I wouldn't judge you. This was 1999, and I fully believe in the John Boyce theory that everyone lost their own mind in 1999. So That's when I came into this world, baby. I apologize for the inconveniences. <laughs> uh, well, well, that clears out the mailbag. Oh, yeah. One thing. I did not do a poll about this case before we go. Do you approve of the job that general manager Rio Saito is doing right now? So far, so good. All right, so you approve of it? I approve as well. He went up in his approval rating. It was 89% last week, and now it's 100%. It's all downhill from here, Rio. <laughs> but I think that's going to do it for this week, Case, unless you had anything else you want to hit on before we got out of here. No, no, God, I'm done. All right, you can follow us at Open Voice Gate. You can follow Case at underscore in your case. You can follow me at Fujiheya. That's with two eyes, like Don Fuji. And that's going to do it for this week on Open the Voice Gate. We'll be back next week talking more about the Dragon System. Take care.